Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Golden Fusion Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. Today, my guest is Kyle Brahman. Kyle recently graduated from ISU with a Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition and Dietetics. He's a really smart guy. During his undergrad, Kyle conducted some research in sports nutrition, which was recently published and featured in Women's Running Magazine, which is a popular magazine, actually. Kyle, you got to be pumped about that. Yeah, man. It was awesome. How did you even get that opportunity? Or did you just do the research, someone read it, and then they like said, hey, we kind of want to put this in our magazine? Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. So yeah, conducted this uh, research project um, and um, actually developed two different papers, which maybe we can get into a little bit. But uh, one of them was published in the Journal of Exercise and Nutrition, and one of the editors over at Women's Running Magazine read the piece, reached out, and uh, just want to kind of get my thoughts on that. Were you part of a team when you conducted this research? Yeah, yeah. So kind of the uh, backstory on that, um, my junior year, I um, was kind of thinking about um, pursuing a master's degree or at least something in the graduate level and knew how important research would be, you know, gaining entrance to that. So I um, approached my professors to see if she was working on any research that I might be able to kind of help along with. She didn't have anything really going on, but asked if I had any ideas, and I did. Um, I've been volunteering uh, in the uh, sports nutrition department and um, had just observed a few things. We kind of looked through the literature on that, decided that there was a need in the literature, that there were some unanswered questions, and we thought we could contribute. So yeah, we put together a study. It was me, Dr. Jen Barnes, and then we also added on uh, Dr. Rebecca Aiken for her expertise in, in stats and um so were these not these weren't students these were like teachers uh professors yeah. professors so yep. you were hanging out with professors and you conducted this you were kind of leading this research <clears throat> yeah yeah yep was your name first on the list when it was put in yeah so kind of how that works is when you are typically looking at uh, a research paper the first person's name that's on there is the lead uh kind of research author um and then additional people are in between and then the principal investigator um, but it was primarily a project that I undertook, so I was listed first. Man, did you devote a lot of time to that? Yeah, like yeah, tons. I can remember for those of you who are listening. I lived with Kyle uh, for two years now. Yeah, and I just remember him getting up early all the time and going and volunteering at ISU, and just always busy and always at a coffee shop and always yeah. tapping his foot and yeah. making weird yeah. noises because he was yeah. in yeah. deep focus. Yes, that's. So true. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't on a laptop, he was in the corner reading a thick book. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. But before we dive into all that in the cool scientific smart guy stuff that you did, mm. I want to say congrats. You're recently engaged. I am, man. Yeah. You heard that right. Kyle just got engaged, and he just got one of his papers published in Women's Running Magazine. Now, that's cool and all, but have you had a smoothie from GoldenFusionSmoothies.com? If you hadn't had a smoothie from GoldenFusionSmoothies.com, I suggest you head on over to the website now and order yourself some fast, healthy fuel. Golden Fusion makes smoothies for busy people like you to enjoy. Start your mornings right with Golden Fusion Smoothies from GoldenFusionSmoothies.com. Golden Fusion is responsible for putting this podcast on for your listening pleasure. All right, back to Kyle and me. How long have you been dating her again before Um, you asked for her hand? It It is uh, August 13th right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's the 13th, so... Uh, we're actually coming up on five years and three months. And you're 22, so you've been dating since 21. You're, you're 21, that's I'm right. I'm turning 22 in a couple of days. but uh, You are about the youngest person in, you know, among my friends. I mean, close friend yeah. group, sure. Let me ask you honestly, like, 
how long were you thinking about it before you decided? Like, did you just know for sure that you were gonna, you want to spend the rest of your life with her? Or yeah, like when I, when did it become obvious? I should say. Yeah, I would say probably about two and a half years, three years in. Um, you know, I think Lexi and I both took a really hard look at our relationship and we're like, we're serious about this. And um, I mean, ever since then, it, it might seem crazy. You know, at that point, we were probably eighteen, nineteen. Sounds crazy, but I mean, we were comfortably talking about getting engaged and getting married. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we were both on the same page with that. So probably two and a half, three years in. Was it a literal conversation? Was it like a one time you're like, oh, all right, hold up. We've been together two and a half years. Let's talk. Like, because this is two and a half years. It's like a tenth of our life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was probably little stuff over time. Like, I can't wait to get married or things like that. And then it turns into like a, hey, I'm not just saying this. I'm like. <laughs> I am legitimately ready to get married right oh, now. Oh, snap. Um, Wait, what was it like? Who said <laughs> Who said it the first time? Like, hey, Dude, I'm I, ready to get married. You didn't let that slip, I did don't you? know. I don't know. So, I, so I, I can remember who said, I love you first. And, like, I cannot remember who said, I can't wait to get married first. I cannot. I, I can't remember that one. I wonder what that moment um, was like. It's probably yeah, like I'm sure the other one had to have been like, what the? What? <laughs> what did you say? Okay. Well, this is a big deal. Your work got published in a popular magazine that when I've asked random people about it, they've read the magazine. Yeah, like, yeah. this is women's running magazine. Yeah. That's that's a big deal. Yeah. And um, so can you kind of tell me in maybe in a little brief summary, sure. what was that study about? What were you what piqued your interest about this thing? And then what were you trying to figure out? Yeah, yeah, I'll try and be as brief as possible on this. So um, essentially what I had observed during my time volunteering at ISU was student athletes that were not taking full advantage of the nutritional resources we were giving them. Um, and then I was familiar with the current literature on student athletes having an inadequate dietary intake. So you're talking about calories, macronutrients, micronutrients. So essentially I was like, okay, the literature seems to say student athletes aren't consuming enough or as adequate enough of a dietary intake. When you say dietary intake, you're saying they're not getting properly nourished? Yeah. So, yeah. So you would say they're not getting enough calories or macronutrients, so protein, fat, carb. Um, they're not getting enough of specific mic micronutrients. Um, you know, but the cornerstone of an athlete's diet is energy intake, so calories to support uh, performance, health, recovery, adaptation, those types of things. But essentially, I saw... From my point of view, I was like, wow, these student athletes have access to a lot. Um, they could get essentially all of their servings of fruit for the day, 700 plus calories for the day. When you say access to a lot, are you referring to like the cafeteria or something, stuff like that? No. from So we have a sports nutrition department in the athletics department at ISU. So, um, oh, wait. So they have stuff. Is that just for athletes? Yeah. So yeah. they have special food for athletes yeah. readily available? Yeah. So in Redbird Arena, the athletics weight room is underneath. There is... In the weight room, there's a little corner off to the side. It's a giant bar. You can get different types of granola bars, fruit. After essentially every workout, you get a shake made based on like what flavor you want. And then calorically, we have lower calorie options, medium calorie, high calorie. It sounds like they kind of have it made and it's it's ready. They have premium yeah. fuel sitting there waiting, yep. ready they for don't them. And what anything. was the problem then? That you... It's free. They aren't taking it. They're they, not taking They it. don't take advantage of it. Athletes aren't taking it. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm aware of this literature that says they're under-consuming. So mm -hmm. to, in my mind, I'm like, what the heck is going on? 
What is holding them back from doing these things? You might say, what are the barriers to a healthy diet? And that's, that's what got me thinking. So I was like, what are the barriers? Like, what is, what is holding them back? And that's the uh, question that I approached Dr. Barnes with originally. Uh, and she was like, well, what does the literature say about that? And I was like, there's not much in the literature. I did a, a pretty comprehensive scan of a couple different um, search engine platforms. Essentially, I found two or three studies that kind of secondarily touched on barriers. One was from 2008 in Australian elite athletes, and one was from like 2001. So um, not that relevant and applicable. Really, there was, you would say there was little to no applicable research. It seems like kind of a simple topic, something simple to investigate, something we would have investigated at this point. There was nothing. And so that was the need that we saw, and that's what we investigated. So you saw that problem. You saw, you saw the problem of kids aren't, these athletes aren't taking advantage of what's readily available to them. That's <laughs> really more than enough. Free, convenient, right? accessible. Yeah. 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 And satisfactory to Satisfa- what they need. Yeah. Nutritional needs. And they're so. not using it. You, you do a good scan. I remember seeing you do these, these scans. I mean, you're on your computer like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You find that there's not a lot of research. So what do you decide to do? And how do you, I, you know, yeah. I'll let you take it. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially the next step is, okay, we recognize that there's a need in the literature. Um, then it's essentially, okay, you kind of start to go into problem solving mode, right? So you say, there's a problem. We don't necessarily know from an evidential standpoint what barriers student athletes face. The next question might be, how do we assess what student ath- what barriers student athletes face? Um, so then at that point, we had to look at, okay, how are we going to survey student athletes to figure out what barriers they feel they are facing. So then I had to start looking at survey development, which is where Dr. Aiken came in. Um, She's done a lot of um, survey work in her own field, and she helped us develop this survey. What we did is created this questionnaire of variables that we thought would have some sort of relation to barriers. Um, For example, we wanted to look at Um, where the person lived, whether they lived on campus or off campus. Um, And essentially how that would go is like, do you live on campus? Do you live off campus? Statistically on the back end, we're looking at did the rate of selection of on campus or off campus correlate with the rate of selection of any specific barriers that we came up with. Right. That'd be a really good one to start with. So, So, yeah. So we essentially came up with what we thought were reasonable variables of interest that might correlate it almost sounds like you're saying what's your excuse you were we were looking for like why don't you why don't you take advantage of these things you athlete do you live off campus like or yeah so we 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 were we were trying to find additional information that might uncover some things mm -hmm. so essentially we were developing the survey we went through a bunch of like demographic variables so age sex sport yada 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 that's just basic information gives us a picture of who we're looking at as a sample then we wanted to look at variables that might correlate with what we're actually really want to look at is what barriers they feel they're facing, right? So that's just kind of survey development. Um, and to list these barriers in this uh, research, if you wanted to run a study like this, you would have a validated assessment tool to uncover these things. Um, but since this is really kind of the first look into um, kind of this little area, we had to come up with our own um, 
And so what we did is we looked at those two or three studies that kind of secondarily touched on it. And they said, oh, and of course, you know, um, student athletes uh, face a lack of time from being busy with all these different things. So then we would say, okay, there is a reference to student athletes having a lack of time in the literature. That is essentially, and so we compiled a list of potential barriers student athletes might face from these two or three studies that kind of secondarily touched on stuff, and then a really broad range of literature in young adults. Um, so there's actually a lot of literature in young adults looking at the barriers they face to healthy eating. But at the same time, student athletes in college are really a demographically pretty similar uh, sample to young adults. So we were able to pull some of these barriers from um, those two or three student athlete studies, um, the primary relevant barriers from young adult studies, create our own list of potential barriers student athletes might feel are applicable. Um, so essentially, demographics on the left, then we have potential correlates in the middle, then we have what we're really interested in, which is potential barriers at the end. And then um, uh, we had to provide a definition of healthy um, for... What was that? What's the definition of healthy? That's a really good question. Is it um, long? Like, so, can you recite it here, I guess? Yeah. So I, I think I could probably come up with it pretty closely. The, the operational definition we used in our study, what are your barriers to consuming a well-balanced diet that meets the nutritional needs of daily life in addition to those extra needs from physical activity associated with being a student athlete, right? So we had this operational definition that we had to work with. Um, but then, yeah, so we pilot studied this in student athletes to make sure they were interpreting things how we wanted them to interpret things. Mm -hmm. Then we had to send it to a bunch of different uh, professionals um, in the field. So we sent it to some dietitians at um, the University of Iowa. We sent it to some dietitians at the University of Wisconsin. To see if they would like say, and, go, yeah. give it to their student athletes? Well, so yeah. So I actually, I contacted every <clears throat> dietitian in the Big Ten to see if anyone wanted to have their athletes participate in the study. Did you go with the Big Ten because you just thought it'd be cool? Yeah, I mean, I figured I was like reaching out to Illinois um, and then I had Wisconsin and Iowa already helping me. So I was like, well, I'm I'm three out of the, the whatever. I remember so we were gonna... pumped because you were talking about Iowa and yeah, because you're like, dude, yeah. Austin DeSanto might take dude, this. Dude, what if he takes this? <laughs> yes, I know, dude. For those of you listening, Austin DeSanto is a phenom wrestler for the University of Iowa, and me and Kyle really respect his uh, hard nosed style. I mean, we just think he's awesome. He's kind of a wild man. Tenacity. He's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a. Anyway, yes, <laughs> anyway, this, this was something that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so essentially, yeah, so that was one of the things I reached out to every dietitian in the big 10 and, uh, I think I got three responses back and none of them could do it anyway. So we had some professionals, uh, different sports dietitians look over it, suggest any changes that they would do. Okay. And then after all of these checks and balances, we finally were able to provide this survey to the rest of the student athletes at ISU, gather data run some statistics on it, see if there were any uh, statistically significant correlations between things. And then we looked at not only the prevalence of different barriers, so which barriers were selected the most often as being applicable. Um, but then we also looked at which barriers are the most significant um, in terms of having an effect on the student-athlete's life. So not only did we look at how many student-athletes felt 
barriers were applicable, but then once they selected from this list of how many were applicable, okay, now which ones apply to you? Yeah, so it was like we had like maybe a list of 15. And if they felt five applied, okay, next step is of these five that applied, which were the most significant? Rank them, mm-hmm. essentially. Because we want to know, like, okay, so, so check the ones that apply to you and then rank, rank them. them. Yeah, that's essentially Easy what enough. Yeah. Easy enough. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of statistics and human testing, studies have shown that the main reasons adults eat unhealthy is a lack of time and affordability. GoldenFusionSmoothies.com makes fast and affordable, ready-to-blend smoothies for busy folks like you. Head on over to GoldenFusionSmoothies.com and ditch fast food for fast, healthy fuel today. All right, back to the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get data. Um, and then you have to run stats on it. And, and then, yeah, yeah you look for common denominators, right? Correlations. Yep. Correlations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this wasn't a randomized controlled trial or anything like that it was just an observational study uh so we can't in turn we can't say this caused this right um because we're not controlling for different things we're just observing Mm -hmm. we're observing for correlations between variables um and then what they felt were the most applicable all right so you run all these tests (laughs) what'd you find what are like some of the most common things that are keeping these student athletes from, you know, consuming yeah. unnecessary. Get what are their barriers, right? Yeah. So, what's keeping these student athletes from a healthy dietary intake? Yeah. So, um, really, there's a little bit of background here. So, essentially, um, when I wrote this paper, kind of this initial rough draft, it was about 80 pages long, um, with everything said and done. And you wrote 80 pages, double spaced, well, single well spaced. Over. Yeah. 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 Um, my original, wait, double spaced or single spaced? Double spaced. Oh, okay. Yeah, forty. Dude, that's a that's a that's a book. Do you that's know what you're ton. talking about? I know. Eighty eight by eleven pages. That's huge. Well, what font size? Twelve forty. <laughs> <laughs> then no, I'm totally um, kidding. That's nuts. Yeah. No. Gosh, so my rough that. draft of this originally was eighty, and that was like this is everything. This is like super encompassing. And I went to Dr. Barnes, and she was like, what the f- is this, dude? <laughs> if I can go something. Did she say that? <laughs> she said, well, I'm not going to quote her, but <laughs> she looked at me and was like, what are you doing, dude? Wait, and that you, was your what? That was my rough draft mm-hmm. of, the, of like, the whole paper. That a um, synopsis or whatever? Like, a, uh, the, you take the results and write a paper. So you do an abstract. You do an introduction to the problem. Uh, then you have a method section to lay out. What methodology did you use? Basically, to, the same format as what I would find on like PubMed or something. PubMed, like that. yeah, yeah. It, so it's, it's exactly that. So I had to write one of those, right? But mine was eighty pages. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Too long. Way too long. So um, most journal articles have a limit like twenty five hundred, three thousand uh, words. Um, and which would be like how many which, pages? Like ten to fifteen. Mm. Um, so mine was like four plus times as long as it could have been. So Dr. Barnes like, dude, no, scrap. Like you have to, you have to condense this. You have to narrow what you're writing about. So I did what I thought was a really good job and still had 40 pages left. Um, and then I had to do it again. And I had like a 13, no, I had like a 20 page paper. Dang, and to go from 80 to 20, you got to start like looking dude, for synonyms yes, that encapsulate I, like the I, four words that you use. <laughs> once I got down to 20 pages, I didn't even recognize my paper anymore. I was like, 
what is this? Huh. This is crazy. Like, like I just felt like I was. There was so much in the study that I thought was noteworthy, and I wanted ah. people to know about it. But based on journal formatting, no one's going to read. You're not going to publish something that's 80 pages and people are going to read it. So I cut it down to 40, cut it down to 20, and Dr. Barnes and me were like, we have to look at publishing two different papers. And you, and you know what, just real quick, talking about the page limit, if you want to advance academia, society's nutritional understanding of these types of things, then you got to make it readable. Short, you know? condensed information. Sure. Right? Right, right, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at that point, we were like, we have to do two different papers. And so essentially, we cut it up and we said, all right, this is going to be our main paper. This is all about. Okay, it was originally about all of the barriers. Then we went to like the most significant barriers altogether. Then we went to the the top five most significant barriers. So this paper went from an all-encompassing look at the barriers student athletes face to simply the top five most significant. People love top five stuff. <laughs> and that yeah. And that's all I could talk about in this paper. So even though there might have been really interesting insights in barriers six through fifteen, because they weren't the most significantly I didn't have room to talk about them. Dang, that probably took a jab. Like It did. It did because I really thought there was useful information in there. And besides the hundreds of hours that I put into looking at all of this stuff. um, So essentially, yeah, we we came up with two papers. One, the top five most significant barriers student-athletes are facing. Lack of time um, was number one, I believe. Yes, it was. Two was easy access to unhealthy foods. Um, mm. Three was cost, I believe. So financial Fair. burdens. Um, four was lack of knowledge about what foods are healthy. Five was lack of knowledge and skills about how to cook healthy foods. I'm definitely misquoting that last one, but it was something really, really similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, it was a lack of knowledge about sh- uh, cooking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the top five that we found um, in that paper. And then, you know, we go into like different correlations that other variables had with that. And we expand on that. But big takeaway, those are the top five. Um, and that paper is actually still under review. Our second paper um was like a bunch of secondary information that we were like there is some use in other people knowing about this like we need to let other people know about this um but it's not going to fit in this other paper so we put it together and um essentially looked at how how do I word this um the dietary patterns of student athletes hmm. that and we so we had two papers there was the barriers one, and there was this kind of miscellaneous one that we still thought was necessary. And by patterns, do you mean like their dietary changes throughout the year, typically? Like a lot of the time? Um, I'll let you explain yeah, that. Like, yeah, what, what yeah. so patterns? essentially that second one, um, we found some really interesting stuff. I'm definitely going to um, misquote this. I'm just going to try and do it off the top of my head. So the second one, we looked at um, some interesting findings we had with body composition uh beliefs oh um hmm. there was there were like three main sections there was some interesting findings about body composition beliefs and i believe that's actually what women's running magazine was primarily interested in was ah, yeah it makes sense you know some body composition it's stuff. pretty crazy 
Are you under the belief that women typically have more stress related to their own body composition body image than, than men? 100%. I, um, I agree. I would say this. In student-athletes, and I know we're kind of getting off from whatever we're talking about. We can always okay. come back. Um, in student-athletes, especially in sports where weight plays a really important factor. Um, so Lightweight rowing. That's so cross-country, mm. track swim and dive, gymnastics, um, right? Those are all sports where your body composition plays a big part. And it's on full display, right? And it's on full display, right? Um, so that is where we tend to see some of the biggest issues in regards to disordered eating, um, body image issues, things like that. You know, men are also subject to um the pressures of trying to attain a six-pack and i think it's termed like muscle dysmorphia right so men are also subjected to some pervasive image of what they should be yada 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 i don't know it just doesn't seem like we don't really care about that as much and that's fine i'm not really concerned about that we should look at that i'm just not as interested in it but in terms of you know student athletes having body image issues, eating disorders, it's definitely a thing in female student athletes, especially those in weight conscious sports. Okay, so anyways, back to the the patterns that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So what we we're saying, paper one, primary one, is actually still under review right now. Paper two got published in the Journal of Exercise and Nutrition and kind of included this miscellaneous information that we were talking about. And, and that's what, um, so the woman from Women's Running Magazine reached out about that and uh, wanted to talk. And, and when stuff gets published in a scientific journal. Yeah, yeah. That means like, well, so do you, does, do you send your study to a bunch of different journals and just, and then you hope one of them maybe takes it or? So yeah, kind of the way it works is your paper is on a specific topic. Journals also have specific topics. So you would find a journal that publishes work closely related to what you just did. In your field. So I published my secondary paper in the Journal of Exercise and Nutrition to publish related work. Um, so that's kind of how you narrow down your choices in terms of which journals you even submit to. Uh, okay, so you send it and they and whether they, or not it gets published is up to them. Yeah, so they, they essentially go, okay is this close enough to what we want to stick with in our scope of publication and does and is it a good study is it so then is it and quality? so yeah so one they they look at is this related then they go um okay what's the yeah what's the quality of this study and typically what they'll do if it's a peer reviewed paper they take your paper send it to your peers in academia quotes and other uh professors researchers read through it, see if your um, study was essentially good. And so things that are peer-reviewed typically that you find in the internet are going to so be more credible. And trust yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And good journals will only publish peer-reviewed. So research. tell me about a pattern then that you found or that you yeah. at least notice. Um, so one of the things that we um, looked at was student-athletes' beliefs about body composition desires. So we posed four questions to them. We said, um, do you believe you need to lose weight for better health? 
Do you believe you need to gain weight for better health? Do you believe you need to lose weight for better sports performance? Do you believe you need to gain weight for better sports performance? Well, no, those are questions I really want to know what people said. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> overall, um, student, so we kind of classified that gain weight for whatever it is, health, sports performance, lose weight for better health, sports performance. Um, marking yes essentially states they have a desire to change their body composition for some intent, right? Mm -hmm. So if you said, yes, I think I need to gain weight for better sports performance, okay? That signifies a desire to change your body composition in some way. Um, overall, something like two-thirds of athletes overall said they didn't have a desire to change their body composition. Two-thirds said they did not. Yeah. Uh, for health or sports performance, they didn't have a desire to lose or gain weight um, is kind of what they what they came to. And so that and so she was I well, believe kind of a good thing, isn't it? I thought it'd be the other way. Right. So in and that's I believe what the uh, woman from uh women's running magazine was trying to see. She originally asked, you know, how many um of your like what what was the sport representation of your sample? She was trying to see if we had one females to any type of runner. And we did. Um like a third of our participants in the study were female track and field cross country a third, you said? Something like that, yeah. Or soccer. Um, like a pretty applicable uh, population mm -hmm. to uh, what she was interested in. And then she was asking questions about um, like beliefs about body composition. It seemed like at first she was just trying to get at like, did we find any kind of troubling suggestions about um, females and body composition? Sure, that'd be a good yeah, thing to right? include because, a magazine that people would read or click on. Right, right, exactly. Um, and the thing is, we didn't. We Which is kind of crazy in itself. I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's not what, so what the internet says. Essentially how the statistics would go on this is we would look at this question, do you believe you need to gain weight for blah, 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 and you compare it, the male and female um, answers. I'm saying this definitely wrong. If they are significantly different, on a st in, um, in a statistical sense of it, mm -hmm. then you would, that would be a statistically significant result, right? But we did not find statistically significant results in the way men and women answered these questions about no body composition to desires. Yes, but while that kind of differs from what we know about the current literature on things, we did something a little different in our study. We posed our questions around body composition with a specific intent in mind. We want to know whether it had a desire to change body composition for better health or better sports performance. We did not ask about better body image. We did not ask, do you want to lose weight to have a better body image? Oh, so interesting. Okay, so we might actually be missing something in this. Um, or maybe... Because we gave them the intent to have in mind regarding body composition changes so if they're like nah, I, don't, I don't really feel like i need to lose weight for better health or better sports performance but i think i might look better if i was 10 pounds lighter mm -hmm. um you know so we might actually be missing something in what uh we covered hmm. well is it it's not outrageous to assume that maybe a lot of we'll say women like maybe a lot of them do think that in order to have a better body image to look better they should lose weight. Maybe a majority of women yeah, think that. That's a likely but answer. Maybe those same 
that same majority of women also know that they probably don't need to lose weight for better performance in sports. Like maybe they know. Like yeah. I, I, I bet you they do. Like I want to lose weight, even though I know that's probably not best for sports. Yeah. Like I know people personally that have thought that. Like, yeah. I want to look better. I want to look leaner. But my coach maybe says like, don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Know. That's interesting. All, all really speculation, but. And then some of the other stuff in the secondary study, you know, one of the relevant pieces of information we found was where student athletes are getting their nutritional information from, right? Mm. So in terms of the broader scope of things, we want to know, okay, where are you guys getting your nutritional information from? Do we have any, and if you also select, like um, you feel you have a lack of knowledge about what foods are healthy, is there a correlation here between Okay, people who have uh, selected this X as um, their primary source of nutritional information, they were much more likely to feel that lack of knowledge was a barrier. I'm not sure exactly what we found in that term, in that scope of things, um, but the bigger takeaway from this was that student athletes often feel that or often get their nutritional information from strength conditioning coaches from family and i believe from social media those were like the top three so they're not necessarily digging into uh credible online sources probably not um probably not i mean there are there's good and bad information online um but it kind of one of the thoughts i had with that was from a practical point in the sports nutrition field so Carter, who is the director of sports nutrition at ISU, he is the only nutrition individual at ISU, and there's 420 athletes. How is it even reasonable to suspect that he could adequately educate or even touch base with 420 athletes? It's not reasonable, okay? But if we already know that the majority of athletes are getting their nutritional information from strength conditioning coaches, who they see three to five times a week for different practices or sessions. Why do we need to change that if we could just educate, you know, the 10 strength conditioning coaches rather than the 420 athletes? We have a viable option for getting education to student athletes. We educate 10 people rather than 420 who are already the primary source of nutritional information for these 420. Educate the people that the kids are going to and actually learning from. Yeah, and that, and that trust, was probably that was one of the uh, other big takeaways that we felt like we should be communicating and went in the secondary paper. Very interesting. Yeah. Huh. But that's kind of in terms of like the research and stuff. Kind of backtrack a little bit. Sure. You didn't start in college as a nutrition major. I didn't. What did you start as? No. Yeah. What did you start as first? Yeah. Time? Yeah. I went into uh, college as an exercise science major, um, and then. For one or two semesters, I kind of I went from exercise science to athletic training, back to exercise science, um, due to like a passion for lifting and fitness and things like that. Um, you did a physique show. I did. Yeah, we can bring that up if if we want. <laughs> how'd you How'd you do though? No, wait, hold up. You did a nutrition show, and I a remember nutrition show. Nutrition show. <laughs> Look at this, my food. No, you did a physique show. I did, dude, my freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, of college. Yeah. And I remember seeing you train for that, and you look like a skinned animal. I mean, you were shredded. That was crazy. And, you know, 
How, how'd the show go? I got dead last, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah. Were those other dudes juicing up? Uh, like, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and make any type of excuses. But they were on Roy. It's not fair. <laughs> I, I'm not. No, no, no. I, I got last, and it was on me. I'll, I'll take the responsibility. And this for is that. this was physique. It wasn't bodybuilding. So there's no nope. Ronnie Coleman, humongous dudes on there. No, it's more no, for like no. the ultimate beach bod is what physique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it was it was a really good learning experience, and that it actually pushed me towards nutrition. Um, because of that experience, I realized how little I knew about nutrition but how much it was affecting both my health and ability to perform in the gym. Um, and that's actually what got me. So when I finished my physique show, I was on a Google Doc, and I essentially compiled a giant list of questions that I had about the um, physique competition process. And it was like lifting questions, nutrition questions, like preparation questions, yada, yada, yada. And my nutrition questions were like five times as long as all these other ones. I was like, holy crap. I have a lot of questions about nutrition. And it kind of hit me like that, that I was really, really curious about nutrition. Um, and while, like I said, my passion is definitely fitness and lifting, um, my curiosity in life is mainly in regards to nutrition. And I know a lot of people typically say, run with your passion, yada, yada, yada. I, two things on this. I my passion would be lifting. If I stuck with exercise science or athletic training, something like that, I would probably be a, around lifting for the next 40 years of my life. And it would saturate, you know, my like nine to five or eight to four or whatever. And then I was afraid, you know, I would get off work and then I would want to go lift my passion and not be excited about it because I've just been around it all day long. You didn't want to ruin your I didn't, passion for I did, I didn't want to oversaturate my life with lifting because mm -hmm. I wanted this to be a lifelong thing. Simultaneously, I'm realizing I'm very curious about nutrition. So I kind of said, okay, what about running with your curiosity in life rather than necessarily your passion? Um, and just for me specifically, that seemed to work. Interesting. What, what about nutrition in a, in a nutshell? fascinates you because it, it seems to fascinate you that's why you've kind of yeah yeah gone this route. yeah i mean the the relationship be, between nutrition and performance mm. uh the relationship between nutrition and subsequent health that's interesting um, because that's why that's what golden fusion is striving to do i mean we we're called the ultimate human fuel mm -hmm. we're just you yeah know, and i learn a lot from you yeah I mean, <laughs> we're just trying to make the ultimate human fuel like because it is fascinating it's like what what can you put in your body that'll make you just do amazing things yeah yeah. On, on in every respect, you know, physically, uh, in terms of hypertrophy, muscle hypertrophy, yeah. and then you know, endurance, cardiovascular health, even cognition. That stuff's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah, like right, like exactly. It's how do you give your body the substrate or just the building blocks so that you can go and do incredible things in all those different areas, like you were talking about? When you look at people and like different kinds of people, like maybe athletes or sure. cultures, I don't know, who, what kind of people are like kind of doing it right? Like, do you look at gymnasts? Yeah, we could get into some muddy waters with this one um, in terms of trying to elucidate like a good dietary pattern mm -hmm. um, and then like the context that's surrounding that, right? Maybe it's not one size fits all. What it's not. It's, it's one. Not. It's not. That's, there's, I mean, we have data to support that it, there's no one best diet or that there's no one best dietary approach. You know, we know this. And why is that? 
why is that? Are there differences among ethnicities or uh, among different body compositions? Um, you know, what? like because like a lot of it, there's so many variables that feed into your relationship with food and how that affects your health. So if we're talking about a good dietary pattern, you know, even in that, if we were to reference this back to the like uh, research, we had to provide a de- an operational definition of healthy diet because how do you define healthy diet? And even our definition was very broad, right? A well-balanced, you know, what does that mean? Um, diet that meets the needs of day-to-day life. So like in that sense, just in that little kind of snippet that I took from, are we saying that healthy only means meeting the needs of day-to-day life? Like if you were to lay in a room at 68 degrees and not move all day, <laughs> and but you got the exact amount of calories, that's healthy? No, <laughs> no, because then we're missing opt- optimality and optimization, you know? And then back to kind of that definition we were working with in the study, a well-balanced diet that meets the needs of day-to-day life and physical activity. Um, and then physical activity, you know, what physical activity are you doing? So there's just, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but it's really hard to define what healthy means. Mm-hmm. Um, so even when, you know, talking about a good dietary pattern or a healthy dietary pattern, before we can even talk about dietary patterns, you know, we have to try and define healthy and that's hard enough in itself. Um, I would say that <laughs> while this maybe isn't, a great definition one a dietary pattern that keeps us from chronic diseases again you're missing optimality and optimization fueling your body for performance things like that but like we could we can maybe focus more specifically on like the obese population in the United States okay for them a healthy diet a diet meaning way of eating diet doesn't necessarily mean weight loss diet just means a style of eating um so if if we are zeroing in on the obese population a healthy diet is going to be one that helps them lose weight that's that's going to be the primary goal um so lane norton who's a great nutritional resource um has kind of talked about this um and he brings up some weight loss statistics, and he has um, kind of mentioned that we do not have a weight loss problem in the United States. Like the overwhelming majority of people can lose um, greater than five percent of their body weight in their life. The problem we have is that within one year of that weight loss, seventy-five percent of people put that weight back on. That's insane. Within seventy-five. Within two years, about eighty-five percent. Within three years, it's about ninety-five percent. Okay, what the heck? yeah, we are. We can lose weight. We, <laughs> and so this is why I have issues with these fad diets. Okay, well, people. I bet. Yes, you can freaking do the watermelon diet and only eat watermelon. Are you going to eat watermelon for the rest of your life? You yeah. Know, the question isn't can you do it and lose weight. The question is can you make it a sustainable lifestyle? Okay, everyone can lose weight. You can fast, literally not eat anything. No shit, Sherlock. You're going to lose weight. You're not eating anything. Okay? That's not magic. Okay? The magic is finding a sustainable 
dietary pattern that puts you in a caloric deficit that you can make a lifestyle. It's not, it's not a one and done because there's always, it's the question of what's the diet after the diet. Okay. Right. Cool. Cool. You, uh, you did the ketogenic diet and you lost some weight. Okay. Now you're like, oh yeah, I, I lost the 10 pounds that I wanted. Um, and okay. So now what? Do you go back to your normal ways of eating and you put those 10 pounds back on? Mm-hmm. Because 95% of people do. Real quick about the ketogenic diet. I've, yeah. I've heard that it only, uh, sorry, I got on a no, no, big That's tangent there. But. Great. Um, I've heard that it only, you're, you're only going to lose weight on a ketogenic diet if you're in a caloric deficit. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's the only way. Yeah. It's the law of thermodynamics. Sure. Yeah. Do you think, that was actually going to be my next question. What's like, what are two trends? Try to say two trends that you just don't like, that you think are borderline just dumb and maybe trendy. You want to go, oh, can you not say that? No, I, ca- I can, but you know, um, my mentor, my professor, Dr. Barnes, um, kind of instilled this in me. I think it's one of the wisest pieces of advice for people like me in the nutritional world um, is not giving unsolicited advice. So like right now, I understand you're asking about that. I always get hesitant because like all the time, people like you meet someone, they're like, oh, what are you studying nutrition? Okay, cool. And then they want to tell you their life story about nutrition and how they're only eating watermelon right now. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, cool, bro. Um, but people are just as kind of confrontational or there's definitely a better word about nutrition as they are about politics and religion. And it's really, really weird. Oh, like defensive and uh, yeah, they get, uh, angry or like, well, I ate only watermelon and I lost 10 pounds. So that's, (laughs) that's like the best diet, right? Uh, (laughs) Right. And they're like, I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. But so that's like the kind of like, I'm not, I really try and stay away from giving unsolicited nutritional advice because it almost always turns out rough because someone, you're going to offend someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, just better to keep my mouth shut really. But we're talking about this. I still don't want to freaking offend someone or have someone come after me for whatever I'm about to say, but like, okay, two annoying nutritional trends that I wish would go away. Like in a perfect world, I would say what I would like to see go bye-bye is getting our nutritional information from untrustworthy sources. Because that would probably knock out a lot of those. Like I'm trying to kill as many birds as I can with one stone. Oh, yeah. So like, right. like Instagram bodybuilders like or Instagram or, fitness. Teams. Yeah. Influencers. Influencers. Or yeah. I'm sponsored by One Up Nutrition. Yeah. This is the diet. Mm-hmm. Only eat One Up Nutrition protein yeah. powder. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. It's the best. It gives you everything. You found the magic one. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. Um, so like that would be a perfect world. If I just have to name two, I would say the ketogenic diet just because it's so pervasive. Everyone knows about this freaking thing. Like there are way bigger issues in society that people do not know about. Heaven forbid everyone knows f-ing word keto and thinks it is the magic thing. Okay, so like if I really had to put a nail in a coffin of one, that's what I'm going to go after just because it is so pervasive in society. Everyone f-ing knows this word. Dude, and those results too aren't sustainable at all. Like, you know, they're losing weight because they're in a caloric deficit a lot of the time. And every single person I know, Who's done it? 
and lost some weight, it's gained it right back. Yeah. And maybe then some too, but just, yeah. you know, yeah. what do I know? But okay, so, so keto, I mean, that's one. Uh, yes. And so maybe let me add a little context to that. As I said earlier, adherence and making it a lifestyle is the biggest thing. Some people, based on their background, and that's why I said there's so many variables that can come into this that it's a muddy conversation to have. But for some people, their background, they aren't, they don't feel like they need to have carbohydrate sources in their life to have a quality life. Okay. Some people are like, yeah, I, I, I don't really care for foods that are, are uh, carbohydrate based. Um, and, you know, I feel like this is something I can stick to. I really enjoy this. Um, and, you know, this is a lifestyle choice that I can make rather than a dietary choice that I can make. For those people, wholeheartedly, especially if we're, if we're starting to talk about, you know, the two-thirds of the American population that's obese, right? For those people specifically, this is a dietary trend that you can adhere to, I will support you hands down. Okay. Even though I just said this is the nail in the coffin one that I would mm -hmm. just kill. If you can, if this is the, for the largely for the reason that you don't believe it's, you often believe, you believe that it is often not sustainable. Is that? Yeah. I, I, I believe it is. I, I think, I don't want to put a specific number to this. I think the overwhelming majority of people who try and do the ketogenic diet are going to find some initial weight loss and then go back to the regular eating ways and then uh, gain that weight back. And then somehow they're just pissed off at the world. And they're like, I tried it and, and blah, blah, I don't know, whatever. So yeah, but if it's a dietary, if it's a, not a dietary, if it's a, a lifestyle choice that you can make and you can think as serious as it sounds, this is something I could do for the rest of my life. The second would probably be, and literally I'm just going through in terms of what I think is probably the second most popular uh, fad dietary trend, which is probably fasting, okay? There's Intermitted no, or just regular? That doesn't even matter. Just fasting. Like, just general. fasting. So I like, uh, I'm probably offending a lot of people with this too, but. I intermittent fast every day. And I lost so much weight. <laughs> cool, bro. It's not magic. You didn't eat. You ate less. <laughs> no shit, Right? Don't eat, lose weight. Uh, <laughs> no, really? Well, I've heard it's a little more uh, complex than that, right? It's like your body, I don't Dude, the, I would I would Some tell you hormones. there is nothing magical about any specific diet. There is no special. I I would say this magical meaning. There is no special effect produced from a certain diet like fasting. So some people be like, like it raises your like growth hormone levels and your autophagy and blah, blah, blah. I would just say, like, because I'm not going to do it just myself. I would say look up Lane Norton on YouTube. Again, his whole shtick is taking on BS in the fitness industry. He's got a PhD in nutritional sciences from U of I, one of the top nutrition schools in the nation, has published research in, is just objective to the T. Okay. So if you were interested in something like fasting, he's probably going to say something similar to what I'm saying, but he'll probably be able to reference studies on the spot, something like that. Okay. Um, Fasting works because you put yourself in a calorie deficit. That is the magic behind it. Okay. If you say, well, I can only eat for eight hours a day, um, you know, you're being restrictive. And okay, so 
it's a lot harder to eat three. So if you need, let's just say, you need, quotation marks, a baseline 2,500 calories in a day, okay? It's going to be a lot harder to get all of those calories in in an eight-hour window because, you know, we're talking about, like, fullness. 2,500 calories in terms of the volume of food it would take to reach that, in your stomach, you're going to be full. Um, you know, so if you limit the window that you can intake food in, um, you likely can't, you probably can, you like, it, it will be harder to get a caloric surplus in during a shortened time is what I'm trying to say. So that's the magic about it. Um, yeah. So in terms of trying to like, yeah, man, I'm fasting for the autophagy purposes, you know, um, that's stupid. That's actually <laughs> stupid. Okay. I feel great. I have so many new cells. So many, so many, all my old dead cells are gone now. Right. I feel great. Yes. You're living in a you body can full totally of dead tell. cells. You're yeah. gross. Well, if you're not fasting, man, you know, you got all those dead cells. <laughs> it's the same thing with the f***ing like, detox stuff, right? Like, oh, gosh. Like, you're like, all my waste is gone. Yeah. All my waste, all that, the stuff. stuff that built up in my body, all the, all the chemicals and the nasty stuff, <laughs> it all built up and now it's gone. <laughs> Now while going? you're still sitting with nasty stuff, yeah, <laughs> you got, yeah, okay, dude, your liver and your kidneys are phenomenal at filtering out the stuff that's not supposed to be in your body. We literally keep trying to do stuff that our body already does for us, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. We're like trying to take it into our own hands. It's like, eat some fruits, eat some vegetables, don't gain too much weight, and be active. All right, well, there you have it. There's Kyle Brahman, sounding smart, and teaching us all about nutrition and <laughs> diet and everything like that. Yeah. Kyle, congrats on getting your work published in Women's Running Magazine. You know, what are you trying to do in the future, actually? Like, what, what yeah. are you looking to do as a career now, and what, what are some of your goals for the future? A couple different things could happen. I have a, a general sense that um, it will be something regarding sports nutrition. So right now I'm going into my master's slash dietetic internship program at ISU. I am the graduate assistant for the sports nutrition department there. Um, So that's going to primarily take up the next uh, um, two years of my life about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll I'll do that. And essentially after that, a couple things could happen. So I will take the test to become a a certified registered dietitian. Um, After that, I could go on to do a PhD um, in some type of nutritional sciences and that would probably leave me teaching in academia, which I w- wouldn't mind at all. Like I would, I would love to take the context that I so much love and knowledge and nutrition and focus on these contemporary issues and trends in nutrition and fitness like we've been talking about. And debunk them. And debunk them and just try and push us in a better direction, right? Yeah. Um, that, I think could be something that I'd be very interested in and very well could happen. Um, at the same time, I am getting a lot of like in-person sports nutrition experience right now. I could get done with this and have some sort of opportunity practicing as a sports dietitian. And I don't know if I would say no to that, right? That's, a, that's an option as well. Um, and then the third thing that I'm really, really looking at um, is some sort of technology development. It's actually something that I've just started on recently, really, really getting into, um, is, techno- is, like I said, a technology development that... Do you mean, when you say technology, are you saying I mean, like an app development yep, maybe? It would be a mobile app that would try and optimize the collegiate sports performance process. 
this app would take everything from academics, nutrition, strength conditioning coaching, uh, team sports stuff, athletic training, sports medicine, sports psychology, technology, streamline it, provide tools and features to make uh, the process more efficient, and um, yeah, just try and optimize sports performance with technology. Um, and that's actually something I'm laying out the groundwork for that right now. Um, and that has, is quickly becoming my most, uh, the choice I'm kind of favoring the most just for the, the awesome. biggest sense of independence and, um, um, potential to help people. Sounds like you could bring a lot of organization and, and really benefit mm-hmm. college. I, I immediately think of like D3 college programs yeah. that kind of struggle to have sure. the organization yeah. and uh, yeah. contact all their athletes, stuff like that, and have everyone on the same page, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that could be something yeah. really, really special. Yeah, I mean, there's about 1,100 universities affiliated with the NCAA and about 500,000 athletes. Um, and I think I could develop something that would uh, really do a lot of good there. Sounds like there's a market for this app. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, there you have it, folks. This was uh, Kyle Brahman on the Golden Fusion Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you care about your health, head on over to goldenfusionsmoothies.com and order yourself some nutrient-dense and ready-to-blend smoothies. Found only at goldenfusionsmoothies.com. We'll bring it right to your door. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to the Golden Fusion Podcast.